Now he's not allowed to work. Now he's not allowed to drive. He's stuck at home alone by himself. And his health is failing him and he's in and out of the hospital all the time. I can never thank those people enough for not just the money, because of course that was helpful, but for what they did emotionally for my dad and for me, taking that off of me, taking some of the caregiver responsibilities off of me, that meant more than, I I can't even put a number on it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead, and we are the podcast where we turn on the mic for others to share their story with the world. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and welcome to any new listeners who might have found us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're hopefully going to be on Pandora very soon. I just submitted a request for that, so thank you so much. And as always, my shameless plug of please subscribing, liking us on social media, liking us and giving us four or five stars on Apple Podcast. Uh, Those do really mean something to us, and we're very grateful for those of you that have already done that, so thank you so much. Today, we have a very special guest for me because this individual has been in and out of my life for what feels like a handful of years and came into my life actually via another guest on this episode, or I'm so sorry, on this podcast, not the same episode. Um, So I'm really excited to have her here. So let me tell y'all a little bit about Megan. Welcome, Megan. Hi. Hi. Megan is a fellow LCSW, and she is also an LCAS associate, and she works in the Triangle as an outpatient social worker in the Adult Sickle Cell Clinic. In addition to connecting with patients, with resources, and providing counseling, Megan also loves educating folks about what social work is and what it's not. She advocates for folks in the field, and she actually just told me that she's getting ready to potentially interview for an educator position, which is absolutely amazing. Megan is just super kick-ass, and I'm a huge fan of hers, and I'm very excited to have her in this field with me. She and her partner recently bought a house. They have three fur babies, two cats, Creamsicle and Sherbert, and a pup named Luna. And in Megan's free time, she enjoys binging 90 Day Fiance, playing overcomplicated board games, and surviving solely off DoorDash. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on this podcast. Uh, Right before we started recording, y'all, we were talking about our animals and how, so Megan and I, in addition to working in the same field and doing similar work, we both also have two cats and a dog, which y'all know I've talked about quite a bit on this podcast. And she was telling us about how like these PTSD moments that she's had where her animals like attacked (laughs) each other. And we were just talking about what it's like to have two cats and a dog it seems to be a thing where like one of the cats doesn't like the dog and I don't know maybe it's just us but it's very funny it is Instagram versus reality is certainly how I feel (laughs) everything looks fine on Facebook and Instagram um but in our house we keep the the animals very separate because we're afraid of another incident (laughs) yeah the one you shared about was fairly traumatic and we'll have to save that for another day I'm sure because it is a story in and of itself (laughs) but one that I feel like you have to paint a very strong picture of what is happening so Uh, Megan, tell us a little bit more about yourself. So, my name is Megan. Um, I was born and raised in the Triangle. I lived in this same zip code my whole life, 27603. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I was, you just got real detailed there. I You're know. like, I grew up right here at right the here. State. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, really, really close to here, actually. Yeah. Um, so, same zip code my whole life. I was born at Rex Hospital, lived in Raleigh all the way up until <laughs> I graduated college. My whole family lives here. Um, my mom, my dad, my sister, my grandparents, um, everybody is local, so there really wasn't a reason to leave. Yeah. And after I graduated from NC State, I moved to Pittsburgh for a couple of years. So, for- you left, like you got out for yeah. a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like if I was going to, that was going to be the one and only time Yeah, is graduate school. And I'm so glad I did because it was probably the happiest I've ever been. Wow. Yeah. I felt like, you know how they say you can't have sleep, friends, a good job, and be doing well in school, like all at the same time. You have to give one of those up. Uh-huh. I had everything. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> For a very short moment in time. Um, I really liked my program. I had amazing friends in Pittsburgh. I had a great job. We were going to country concerts and pickle fest. And oh, I want to go. Yeah. That's so good to hear. We actually, funny, that's really funny you say that we have two good friends of ours that are actually moving to Pittsburgh. I love it. I miss it a lot. Well, now we want to go. Yeah. We'll go visit. You should go. We will. That's you really awesome. Pittsburgh's it's fun- a great city. It's funny, too, that you're talking about 
having all those things. Have you seen those memes? Are y'all familiar with these memes or the TikToks of the, it's like women playing an instrument and it's a voiceover and they're like, if she's happy, if she's thriving, if she's hydrated, if she's got a job, if she does her own laundry, if she pays her bills, she's two minutes away from having a mental breakdown. (laughs) It's very funny and fairly accurate, I feel like, right? You can't do it all for very long. No, no, it was a very short-lived experience, but I really felt like I was like really in my jam. I was in my wheelhouse. I had all all parts firing on all cylinders. Um, but that's not the real world, right? Like being in graduate school is not totally um, indicative of what the rest of your career path is oh going gosh, to be no. like. So no, that was one of the funnest moments in time in my life, and yeah. I still talk to pretty much all of the the girls I went to school with and. One of my best friends who still lives in Pittsburgh on the way over here, she called me. Um, she got engaged last Woo-hoo! night. And they're getting married in Pittsburgh and having the Pittsburgh cookie table, if you're not familiar. No. Yeah. People come and bring you cookies at your wedding and they have a table. <laughs> Apparently, that is a tradition we need to start here. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I feel like if it was here, it would be like biscuits. <laughs> it would be. It'd be either biscuits and jam. Biscuits, yeah. Like a jam table. I would take that too. It's fine. <laughs> So you went to grad school and share, I, I know at the beginning of this, I introduced you with your appropriate title. So LCSW, again, for those of you who may not know, that's a licensed clinical social worker. So that means that Megan went to graduate school for social work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really loved my program. Part of the reason that I moved to Pittsburgh was because uh, Pitt specializes in different tracks. I think NC State does more of a generalist yes. approach. And since I had gone there for undergrad, I really wanted to just Absolutely. Meet different professors and have a different perspective. So I went to Pittsburgh, um, the University of Pittsburgh, and I did the direct practice route with individuals and families and groups. And I got a certification in mental health. Um, So I took all the psychopharmacology classes and cognitive behavioral therapy and family centered therapy and all that good stuff. So Um, you got a lot of real hands on training. It sounds like right out the gate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I loved it. So then you came right back here after going to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, it turns out uh, it snows in Pennsylvania. No. So I was like having to get up an hour early to defrost my car and classes still happened. I still had to go to work. The no city buses days? still ran. No, no snow days. Oh, no poopy. snow days. So um, my whole family is here. And actually at that point in time, my stepdad had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. So I was like, I'm moving back. Mm-hmm. I loved my friends in Pittsburgh, but I, I knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. Um, and I had interned at a hospital on the palliative care team during graduate school. And so I knew I wanted to do end-of-life work. And bef- before I actually graduated, I had a job offer from a local hospice in Raleigh. So I knew I was going to that's fantastic yeah. <laughs> that is so fantastic you know and speaking from someone who did go to a generalist program right so i did go to state mm-hmm. for graduate school and i've talked about this before on this podcast because we've had a couple lcsws who did not attend a local university mm-hmm. for their degree and i do feel like many people have had experiences where they felt more prepared when they got out of school that's something i do think about often that nc state has a great program for different reasons yeah. just not great for people who want to work one-on-one unfortunately that's not the route that you tend to take or when you do take it it's harder mm-hmm. to get yourself out there so that's really cool that's fantastic yeah so megan worked at a local hospice center here and that's how megan and i came to know each other i, I think you had just moved back yeah i did yeah you it had, was 2016 i had yeah. just moved back you yeah. just moved back and then megan is really good friends with as i'd mentioned a previous guest on this podcast andre his friend mm-hmm. and then we met at one of the festivals or yeah. something and i remember andre being like you have to meet megan she's a therapist too <laughs> and that is how that's how all therapists find each other i feel like someone's like oh you're a therapist and you're a therapist be friends yeah i remember talking about the licensing process and yes. both of us being like we actually don't know what the hell we're doing no not at all no. like what the rules are what counts what doesn't count taking the exam it's a really scary process so yeah. and i feel like even still I, I text you all the time about private practice <laughs> stuff i'm like hey what's the protocol on this like <laughs> megan will literally i'll like well, i haven't heard from her for two weeks or like, i'll like her stuff on instagram and then i'll get a text that's like I need you to be really honest about something. Would you do this? What What does this mean? And I'm like, what makes you think I know the answer to that? I don't know. It's so funny. Um, yeah, because Megan and I now are both supervisors. Mm-hmm. So now we both educate other people on how to do this job. Yeah. 
which is quite scary sometimes. It is. You talked about imposter syndrome earlier. It's, yeah, I'm wrecked full of it all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate when you reach out to me because even if I don't know, it does, I think, help mm-hmm. lessen that imposter syndrome because then I think to myself, oh my gosh, okay, if someone who I think is brilliant at doing this work, who I make referrals to you quite often, and I'm like, oh, if she doesn't know the answer to this, like, I don't feel bad anymore. <laughs> Well, I think too, I love social work and I could talk about it all day long, but I do think that there is a a, a gatekeeping that happens within our social work profession. And I think people who figure it out and realize how you can set boundaries and make money and not be, you know, scraping by, um, sometimes they keep that to themselves and they don't always share that information. It's very competitive when it It shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. But I I feel like you and I share all the information that we have and I really respect that. Um, And I think the only way to like lift up and encourage and empower a next generation of therapists like we are is to share the knowledge that we have. And that's not always just about like what evidence-based treatment, you know, we're using with certain clients, but like, you know, how do you set boundaries? How much do you charge for a session? Like what does supervision look like if your LCSWA is external? Um, And I think those conversations probably don't happen as much as they should, because like you probably have a lot for me was just trial and error, figuring it out Mm -hmm. or happening upon the right person at the right time. Um, But they don't teach you that in graduate school. Hell no, they don't. Regardless of which school you go to. That's a class. You go propose that class and like, this is what I'm going to teach. Okay. Um, Also, a quick aside, if my I can tell my voice probably sounds very different right now and if it doesn't fantastic ignore this but if it does I'm apologizing to the audience and the listeners of this podcast Um, I sang karaoke last night for two hours and then decided to record a podcast the next day so my apologies for my voice (laughs) Um, but but Megan tell us a little bit more so working in end-of-life care right so I can imagine many people have heard this or heard us just say that and we're like why the hell would you want to work in end-of-life care Mm -hmm. what led you there Honestly, when I started in graduate school, I always thought, I'm going to go into private practice, just like every other social worker who thinks they're going to do therapy. I'm going to graduate, I'm going to do private practice, and it's going to be fine. Um, But during my second semester in grad school, there was another student who presented on her internship that she currently had, which was with the palliative care team. And it moved me to tears. And as soon as she finished her presentation, I found her after class. And I was like, how do I do that? I need to do what you do. I need to do this. Um, And so she got me connected with the people that she did the internship with. And I met with them. And I really liked palliative care. Um, But not everybody on palliative care dies, right? Like sometimes people just have chronic illnesses that they're Mm -hmm. battling for forever and always. And there's comfort care involved, but they're not always necessarily right at the end of life so when I moved back home and took this hospice job I was really nervous because I was 23 yeah baby (laughs) yeah really um I'm not that much older now but 20 23 certainly looking back doing the work that I did I can't believe that that's what I did but I essentially worked as a field social worker so I went to people's houses um who were nearing end of life and on service with us so that looked like you know, uh, single family homes, town homes, group homes, skilled nursing facilities, assisted living facilities, wherever the person was, we went to them. Um, so hospice is like a Medicare benefit that folks get as long as they qualify. Um, they have to have a diagnosis of six months or less okay. you know, likely to live. And with that, you get a social worker, a nurse that comes every week, you get um, certified nursing assistants, volunteer coordinators, spiritual care counselors. I was part of an interdisciplinary team and just kind of met people where they were. Sometimes people were ready to die and sometimes they weren't. Um, it was a really hard yeah. job. <laughs> That's putting it easy, right? I'm sitting over here like you in personal experience with hospice, yeah. right? But then yeah. working in it, it's a whole nother thing. It it really is. Um and I think anytime you're doing home visits, regardless of why you're going in the home, there's always uh, the possibility for some environmental pet bugs. Concerns. Yeah. yeah. I, within a span of like eight months, I had six uh, patients with houses where there were bed bugs present. Um, so I had like cockroaches falling from the ceiling, mice jumping out of Wendy's bags, making oh eye God. contact with me. They're going to eat you. Yeah. And like, they're not scared. No. This is their house. Yeah. They're, they're they were not so afraid We've of given people. you permission to be here. Thank yeah. you. Um, but bed bugs, cockroaches, ah. mice, attack pit bulls in the front yard. Yeah. I don't miss that. Yeah. I had my stints where I did in home too. I'm yeah. like, y'all don't realize they don't like prepare you for that until no. you go do it no and you go alone <laughs> yep most of the time so yeah uh guns laying out on the table people dealing drugs in the back um, are you telling me that yeah. and i was like oh my god 
I had some pretty wild. I feel like I actually should write a book about. That's what, just okay. My I'm taking notes. I'm like classes, <laughs> books. But it was good. I I loved it. It was the best job I ever had, and I feel like if I had not had any of those experiences, really being raw and intimate in those moments with people going to time of deaths, like literally watching people pass away and being with family moments after it happens and talking to people who know that their death is imminent and inevitable. If I hadn't had all of that, I really don't think I would have ended up where I am in in therapy because I feel like that experience is really important. If you're not out in the real world, in my opinion, it's really hard to get in front of a person one-on-one or even yeah. do groups and talk about really tough Anything. stuff if you haven't witnessed yeah. it. Yeah. And like you said, to be so raw and intimate, to know what it's like to connect with people with those with the feelings that make us all human right it's our shared humanity and this mortality that we all have and i think it's very oh my gosh what's the word i want but it it can bring you all together right Mm -hmm. when you all have to experience that Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about because you have some personal experience with you know you work in an adult sickle cell unit Mm -hmm. and then you've had some family members that have dealt with you know long-term chronic illnesses or all the sudden illnesses and it sounds like there's been one very recently yeah that has come up for you um so you jump in where you feel comfortable now that i think about it (laughs) while i was working at that hospice agency my grandfather died on service and he actually like would have been assigned to me um that's unethical so he was not assigned to me but um if he was any other patient, he would have been mine. And he actually died in the hospice home um, at the place that I worked. So that was quite an experience, um, providing care to a loved one in a way that, like, I'm the granddaughter, the caregiver, but also have this, like, other hat that I wear as a social worker. Yeah. Um, that was a unique experience. But, yes, yeah, so my dad recently um has faced a lot of health issues uh it stems back to 2017 there was one day (laughs) at work he called me and he was like i think i'm having a stroke i'm laughing because hindsight i'm like wow i should have (laughs) taken my dad to the hospital but he called me in the morning and he was like i think i'm having a stroke can you come pick me up from work and i just thought what is this crazy old man talking about? And like, why are you calling me? Why are you calling me? Yeah, I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, if you've had a stroke, how were you able to pick up the phone, right. dial my number, have this whole conversation with me? If you're at work, you're around other people. Like, why did you choose to call me? So I said, Dad, if it's an emergency, call 911. Um, I had actually been called to at time of death. Oh my God. At the hospice that I was at. So I was like, I've got other things to do. Um, and he called me two hours later and he was like, I've been admitted to the hospital. I had a massive stroke. Oh my God. And he was fully conscious for all of yeah. it. Yeah. So oh I felt God. like an asshole. Well, right. But again, we're like, what, 25? <laughs> yeah. 20, young. Yeah. 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 And you're like, yeah, I'm busy. I'm at work. Why are you calling me? Yeah. And you had mentioned too that you and your dad. So I heard you mention stepdad. So parents were separated. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what was your relationship like with your dad? conflicted to say the least yeah my parents got divorced when i was five um my mom immediately remarried <laughs> okay good, well, good for her and okay. yeah and he's been my stepdad for the last 22 years do we like him we do we love okay him. we he's love amazing. him great um, yeah i'm 28 so for the last 22 years he's been my stepdad mm. um and my dad dad lives in raleigh my, my whole family lives in raleigh but um my dad and I have a very conflicted relationship. I myself has been, have been in and out of therapy my whole life, like I think a lot of other therapists and social workers have. Um, so my dad is aware of this conflicted relationship status. He's gone with me to therapy appointments. Um, but it was always really just kind of like this weird, quirky, more uncle-like figure. I don't have, well, I have one uncle, but I don't have a lot of uncles. And I just imagine that you know, if if this was another universe, he would be this weird, quirky uncle um, in my life. So way more of trying to be a peer, trying to be a friend, um, like making inappropriate dad jokes, just not necessarily a guiding father mm-hmm. figure always. Um, so it's not like in the traditional sense, right, that we no. think of a parent. No, 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 no. A lot more of me holding his hand as opposed to him holding mine through life. Um 
and so, you know, my parents got divorced when I was young. My dad had a series of failed marriages mm. and engagements and other relationships that left our relationship kind of fragmented. So he moved out to like Lillington, then he moved to Smithfield, and then he moved to Anger, wherever his girlfriend was is where he moved. Um, so we saw him on the weekends and I don't know, I grew up like literally playing down in the creek with no shoes on. We went to the mm. Ham and Yam Festival. I grew up like real Joko style on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> but during the week? During the week, I was a 27603 girl. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I basically saw my dad on the weekends and throughout these series of failed relationships, our father-daughter relationship just kind of grew more fragmented. Yeah. Um, and so when he had this stroke and he called me, of course, I, I still love him and care for him and don't want anything bad to happen to him. Um, but in that moment in time, I just really wasn't thinking that my dad was actually having a massive stroke and was going to be hospitalized. Um, so I called my boss and I said, uh, I think I have to leave work early. My dad just had a stroke. My boss was super supportive. I left, I went to the hospital. Um, and honestly, I was just kind of in a state of shock having worked in the medical field. I knew that having a stroke was not a good thing. Um, I just, could not absorb the information at the rate that it was being given to me, which is ironic because now I sit with people all day long while they get bad news and have to kind of um, deconstruct some of the complex medical information that they're being given and kind of provide it in a way that makes more sense, that's more tangible. But like you said, right, this was happening to you. Yeah. Right. You you weren't the one deconstructing then. You were mm-hmm. trying to make sense of it, and so someone was having to be who you are now. Yeah. To you. Yeah, and it was like in one ear out the other. Yeah. yeah. And I just remember looking at my dad saying, "Well, I hope you're going to stop smoking now." And he looks at me. And he goes, "Shut up! Shut up! Shut up!" And I was like, "Did you not tell the doctors that you smoke?" <gasps> he goes, "No, I never told them that I smoke." And his girlfriend had walked into the room, and she was like. Randy, do you smoke? And he said, no, 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 I don't smoke. So he was lying to his doctors because he didn't want to get in trouble with his, at that time, that was actually his uh, fiance. Um, Oh, I take it she's not around anymore. Oh, she's not. Oh, no, 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 no. That was several ones ago. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm sitting here like, my dad has had a, a stroke. I'm trying to take in all this information I've kind of jokingly asked him, like, ha are you going to stop smoking now? He's not even told the doctors no. that he's been a lifelong smoker. He's 60 years old. He started smoking when he was 13. That's a really big deal. <laughs> That's, like, the number one thing. On, sorry, do you do anything that would be relevant to right. this stroke? Check a box. Write it down. Yeah. Yep. He's like, no, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> just living my life. I don't know. <laughs> and he, like myself, lives off of like McDonald's and Bojangles and pizza. And um, I'm sure I got that from him, but he's not the healthiest eater. Um, he did have a, a history of drug abuse when I was much younger um, and didn't exercise and was overweight. So when you're talking about risk factors for yeah. having a stroke, They're all there. Yeah, all of them. Um, so it was the first time I remember being really frustrated. Like I'm, I'm now stepping into this different role. I'm here to support you, but you're lying to the doctors about really important medical information. Um, you just said something that I feel, God, y'all, I'm so sorry. The worst for a podcast voice, right? Um, but you said something that makes me think about, you just said, I'm stepping into this new role, right? So becoming a parent to your parent do you feel like that's the moment that it really shifted because it sounded like you've been hand-holding your dad for some time but was this a moment where you recognize like okay I am gonna have to be Mm -hmm. this person that is the educator the parent the adult the one that is responsible yeah because I felt like I had a teenager who was lying about like, like we were at the gynecologist and they're lying about ha- ever having had sex. You know, I was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't need an STD panel. I've never had sex before. And I'm like, I know that you have. What are we, <laughs> what are we talking what is about? Happening? So I did feel like a parent whose child was kind of fibbing while we were in the uh, doctor's office. And I was just really honest with the provider. I said, I don't know if my dad's told you this. And I imagine he probably hasn't. But uh, he has literally been smoking since he was 13 years old. Uh, which, is, again, is like really important um, and pertinent health information that I felt yeah. like his providers needed to know in order to effectively treat what was happening to his body. Sure. Um Honestly, after that incident, things were really quiet for a while. They got him on some blood thinner. Um, he stopped smoking, kind of. He ate a little bit better for a little while. And then 
after a year or so, things kind of went back to the way that they were. Sure. So up until this year, 2021, um, didn't hear much of it. He kind of just continued on life as usual. He calls me every once a month or so. Um, I don't really see him that often. Okay. We live in the same area. Yeah. But earlier this year, he calls me again and said, I think I'm having a stroke. And once again, I'm like, deja fucking vu, but new job for me. (laughs) Can you call 911 this time? (laughs) So he did. He did have another stroke um, and he got admitted to the hospital. They did the full workup and they basically said, we think maybe your smoking is contributing to this. Like you're getting these blood clots. They're going to your brain. Um, Stop smoking and eat healthier. So after that, um, James, my partner, and I went over to my dad's house. We went to Trader Joe's, got him a bunch of broccoli. Also, thank you for introducing me to Trader Joe's. You're so welcome. Um, because I literally had never been before. <gasps> What's wrong with you? <laughs> before you had told me all about it, so now I'm a Joho. Um, but we did. We went to Trader Joe's and got broccoli and salads and lean meats and you know all the stuff that I thought he would have liked, and we brought it back, and my dad just kind of scoffed at it and was like, ugh. I have to eat this. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to eat any because yeah. you've wasted your time. Um, but we did what we thought was right. Like, we got him connected um, with follow-up appointments. We got him good food. I encouraged him to go for walks. I told him, I will go with you for these walks. If you want to come over to our house, we will make you dinner. I mean, you were really... And again, I'm saying this lightly, but for the type of relationship you and your dad had, you're going out of your way. Yeah to overlook the fact that you're not very close to be like look your health clearly is really poor Mm -hmm. and i'm smart and i work in this field and so i know what you need to do yeah so it sounds like you were willing to put some of that aside to be like look i'll go on walks with you i'll help you as best i can again being this like adult Mm -hmm. while also having these very complicated feelings about your dad yeah while all this was happening I do have a younger sister. She was ending a relationship, a toxic relationship, and so she was having to move out of her apartment and find a new apartment, a safe place to go and to be. And James and I were actually selling (laughs) our house in Fuquay and moving to Durham. Yeah. So all of this was happening at the exact same time. We're still in a pandemic. I'm going in and working at a hospital every day, being exposed to COVID. At that point in time, um, I think I had had one vaccine dose yeah so it was still a really scary time um trying to figure all of this out and closing on a house and buying a new house and trying to keep my sanity i was also working another job doing outpatient therapy so yeah um so dad again right reaching out to you mm -hmm. his eldest child to be like i need help again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so at that point things weren't super duper scary because this had happened again in 2017 and so in my mind i'm like all right we've got another four years until this happens again um that was not the case so my dad actually ended up having mini strokes or like tias uh pretty much every day and there was one day where he was driving at work he was driving a company car and he had a tia while he was driving and he crashed the company car. Oh my gosh. He sideswiped like a city of Raleigh <gasps> dump truck <laughs> and totaled the car. Um, Your face just then, you're like, ah, and totaled and the car. And he totaled it. So, of course, he totaled it. And so, when he got back to work, they're like, hey, buddy, uh, you can't work here anymore. And I understand, you know, they don't want people to get hurt. They well, don't... He's at risk yeah, now. He is. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's not, it wasn't his fault. There's nothing that he did wrong. It was just happened to be wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. And thank God he was okay. But he was very upset, uh, and this job did not pay very well. My dad did go to high school, but that was as far as his education went. Um, And so he called me after that happened in a panic. He said, I just got fired. I don't have enough money to pay rent this month. Mm -hmm. I have $200 in my bank account. And he was really having what I would call a mental health crisis. Um, He was obviously very upset scared who wouldn't be because at this point he had had a couple of tias and had gone in to be evaluated and was admitted overnight observation they never could find really at that point in time what was going on with him so in his mind he's like i'm gonna wake up every day and have an episode it's groundhog's day every single day and it was truly impacting his life absolutely his quality of life his ability to work um and there again this was this was so far out of his control he did stop smoking he was eating better he was going for walks um he was really feeling i think 
hopeless. Like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to be doing. He was going to the hospital every day. At this point in time, um, after he got fired, he was just at home, and it got so bad that he was getting admitted on, like, a Tuesday morning, um, would stay overnight. Tuesday night, we get discharged Wednesday morning, and then would go back Wednesday night. So, like, he would, he would come back home after the hospital and have another episode. Why were they sending him home? Because he was medically stable, I guess. But they, so they ran all these tests and nobody could figure out what was happening. And I'm sure for him, that was terrifying. Yeah. Your own body, it's like self-sabotage. So he was having a lot of anxiety. He was feeling really down. He couldn't work. And he was scared to get another job because, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you keep a job if you are in and out of the hospital? Right. Um, so there was a moment in time where I realized, I think I'm going to have to step up and really help my dad out in a way that I never thought I was going to have to. So when he told me he didn't have any money, I literally pulled out my wallet and just gave him all the cash that I had. And I mean, again, being 28, I don't carry a lot of cash, but <laughs> I'm looking at you like you had cash. Why'd you have cash? I just had a birthday. Oh, oh, so it's your birthday money. It was my birthday money. So I gave him all the money that I had and he was upset and he was crying. He was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, we will figure it out. Everything will be okay. James and I had just bought a new house in Durham. We had an extra room. And I said, if worse comes to worse, just move in with us. Not ideal, but you're not going to be homeless. Um, So we did have a roommate. They were splitting rent, but rent no matter where you are in the triangle is really expensive and with $200 in your bank account that doesn't go very far yeah so I remember giving him all my birthday money and being like we'll figure it out one day at a time um he literally was in the hospital probably at least two to three times a week for several months wow all during a pandemic too yep so again realizing that this was going to be something that I was not going to be able to manage by myself um I love my mom but again they've been divorced for 22 years 23 years and my mom said I love you but I really don't want to hear about your dad's problems like you're you're the oldest child I I I love you and I support you but I I can't help you know and like I'm I'm happy to listen to whatever is going on but I'm not going to give you advice because he's not my parent I don't want to tell you the wrong thing um you have to do whatever decision makes the most sense for you and for him and again, my sister was exiting a pretty toxic relationship and uh, like we needed to make sure that she was in a safe space physically and mentally. So it was me and James. <laughs> um, so he used all of the money that he had and I quickly realized um, that I was going to need help, not just financially, but just managing all of this. So the more he was getting hospitalized, the more outpatient appointments he was having. He was seeing neuro, he was seeing cardiology, he was seeing the, the uh, ophthalmologist. And it turns out he was having all of these other health issues at once that had all kind of um, originated with the, the stroke. Wow. So his body was failing him in all of these ways that he just didn't realize. And he just thought he was getting old. <laughs> Jeez Louise, right? Like our lack of understanding that ends up causing us more pain and suffering, right? Yep. Yep. So I have a pretty good job and I was working another part-time job. But again, James and I had just bought this new house in Durham. A lot of our money went into that. Um, We've got the three animals. We've got two cats and a dog. Talking about cat litter and dog food and (laughs) vet appointments and flea medicine. And and again, like you didn't sign up for a kid. You weren't there's a reason you didn't have a kid, right? Yep. And so I think this is something that's so valuable to talk about. And I know you, there, there's some more to that story that you're going to share about this. We talk a lot about the sandwich generation, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that our parents or many, you know, our generation's parents are this what they call the sandwich generation, which means that they're usually caregiving for their elderly parents because they're able to live longer now. And then they're also still raising and caring for children. But no one really talks about this idea that, young people are Mm -hmm. taking care of parents and what does that look like i mean we especially living in the triangle for those of you that are familiar it's expensive Mm -hmm. like we're just going to talk finances not just emotional stability but financially having to care for an elderly parent as a young person like nobody thinks about that when Mm -hmm. your parents separate when you're young you're not like who's going to take care of dad when dad's old yeah not one of these five ex-fiances apparently not (laughs) right so I asked him, I said, 
I love you. I'm here to support you. There's only so much that I can do without running myself into financial ruin. Um, my sister and I agreed we were just going to pay his rent. We were just going to pay the rent each month. We were going to make sure that he had groceries, make sure he had his medications. But I could only sustain that for so long yeah. um, with my own. Like Again, I didn't want to go into debt over this. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was still taking care of myself. So I asked him, I said, would it be okay with you? if we started like a meal train thing online, because at this point, nobody knew, none of his friends knew what was going on. Nobody. He was very private. He wanted to keep it to himself. I think he was embarrassed. I mean, because, you know, no, he didn't sign up for this. He's not in control of this. Um, and for him being in and out of the hospital and not having control over your own body, I can only imagine what that felt like. So yeah. I said, is it okay if I just post a meal train? Like maybe we can get people to help bring you food because at this point he was supposed to have like low sodium, low cholesterol, low fat. <laughs> um, and the Trader Joe's wasn't cutting it anymore. Yeah. He, was, he was over it. So he said, you know what? Okay, if you're telling me that you're willing to help me but that you also need help, I'm willing to share my story. So I got one of his pictures off of Facebook. I had him on the phone. We typed up his meal train thing. And I said, if we get one person to deliver you a meal... I will be happy. And I told him, I need something taken off of my plate because I can only manage with so much. And he said, okay. And I noticed there was a little button at the very bottom that said, like, do you also want to accept like monetary donations? And I asked him, I was like, should we click that button? Like, do you think people would donate money? Like, we're just asking for a meal train. Mm -hmm. He said, why not? What's it going to hurt? And I said, okay. <laughs> I am not exaggerating. Like, within five minutes after I hit the publish button he had friends from i'm gonna cry <laughs> he had friends from all over north carolina and the united states donating money and i had forgotten that years ago when my parents initially divorced my dad was a divorced single and separated support group leader i didn't even know that was a thing yeah well that's amazing <laughs> I guess in the early 2000s, people uh, were yeah. flocking to those meetings. So he knew a lot of people. And I remember going to those meetings. I remember being really young and meeting these people. And so it was just so ironic that here I am posting saying we need help. And the people who he helped during a time of need. So it was, I mean, it was really like a peer support yeah. group thing because yeah. he was going through it as well. Um, people were commenting like, I think the first person who donated donated like $500. Whoa. I literally was sobbing at just the first donation because to me, that's a month of rent. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I don't have to worry about yeah. it now. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't have to worry about June's rent. <laughs> Thank goodness. But people just kept donating and it was wonderful. We ended up raising enough money for him to be able to stay in that apartment for several months. Um, but the most amazing thing for me was the additional support that people were willing to give. Um, we only got like two meals, which was the whole purpose. Eh, <laughs> eh, <laughs> you know. But the other support is what was really so amazing. Um, even just transporting him to appointments, he was no longer allowed to drive because it turns out his eyesight um, had gone with a stroke that was like another wow. side effect he just never realized so he was not allowed to drive for several months he lost oh god i'm interrupting you but like he lost so much mm -hmm. and then you were then th it thrown it was thrown into your lap very quickly yeah oh i have so many questions keep going yeah so he was not allowed to drive anymore so we had people who were offering to drive him to his medical appointments who were offering to go pick up his medications who were willing to come over and just sit like with a mask outside and just talk for 10 or 15 minutes because now he's not allowed to work. Now he's not allowed to drive. He's stuck at home alone by himself yeah. and his health is failing him and he's in and out of the hospital all the time. So I can never thank those people enough mm. for not just the money because of course that was helpful, but for what they did emotionally for yeah. my dad and for me taking that off of me, taking some of the caregiver responsibilities off of me and just going over there and being with him and talking to him and making him laugh. And br they did, they brought him meals and they brought him games and they, they brought him care packages. One of my best friends in New York sent him like a, a care package um, of things to do, you know, while, while he was at home and that meant more than I, I can't even put a number on yeah. it. What has been the end result with his medical stuff? So after several tests, they actually found out that he was born with a heart defect. There's a hole in his heart. And 
bit of surgery to close it. So there was a hole in his heart that was acting as a super highway, yeah. like du- a direct deposit for these blood clots that were starting in his legs and getting deposited directly into his brain. And that was what was causing all of over these strokes and, and TIAs again. over and over again. And there was nothing to stop it. Oh my God. Yeah. So he ended up having the surgery um, and it went, re- it went well. And since then he really hasn't had any... Um, Mini strokes or episode. Uncle Randy. He's back to work. He's got what? a new job. Oh my god. He's making more than minimum wage. Oh, like yeah, he is. Everything has turned out for the better. Um but that was just more than I could have bargained for. Yeah. Twenty twenty one. That but yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty one in and of itself, right? And then tacking on caregiving responsibilities for a dad that you know, my follow-up question to that is, you said everything turned out for the better. What about your relationship with your dad? It's better. Yeah? Along the way, I also was able to set some really important boundaries for myself. Like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And I felt empowered. And I think it also helped clarify for him this, like, parent-child relationship. Mm. Um, like, here's where I am willing to step up and here's where I'm not. You're going to have to ask someone else to, <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's got a better job. His he's reconnected with his friends. Our relationship is better, and everything kind of weirdly ended up on a positive note. <laughs> weirdly, but that's fantastic. And then it sounds like for you, you know, how are you feeling? So it's been how long ago was his surgery? October. So like two, two months. months. I was going to say it wasn't that long ago, right? Megan, you were saying that all turned out for the best and all turned out for the better, you know, and you actually were just telling me, you know, a little bit about this story before when we were talking about you coming over here and Mm -hmm. you had said, you know, this was, I wasn't close with my dad. And so I'd be curious and I wonder if the audience would be too, if you could share a little bit about what this has meant for you looking back now. Surgery was two months ago. Yeah, You are stepping out of those responsibilities that caregiver role that you had it sounds like you and your dad really established a new relationship talk to us about that because y'all weren't that close for a long time and how what has that been like yeah um it's it, I think it has been really good for our relationship and since actually my sister now that she's in a better spot too um she's been able to help out more so she's been getting dinners with him like once a week and stuff which is great but now that he's back to having more independence, now that he's back to working 40 hours a week and able to go out with his friends, he went dancing last weekend. Ooh. Yeah, he is back to back to baseline, if not better. Um, actually, you know, he did tell me the day after he got the surgery, he said, I feel the best that I have felt in like 20 years, which Whoa. makes sense because now his heart's functioning right? <laughs> properly. Like, you had a literal <laughs> hole in your heart, Randy. I get it. Yeah, I, I bet he's feeling better. Um, so now that he's in a better state mentally, physically, financially, um, it has kind of allowed us this opportunity to reflect. And he has thanked me for, for being there because I, I know that I didn't have to and he knows that I didn't have mm-hmm. to. I'm not going to lie, of course, at some points in time, I still feel pretty resentful um, and angry because oh, yeah. Yeah, no one at 28 years old expects to be in a position where they're having to support someone else <laughs> that they didn't bring into this world. But on the whole, I do think that going through this experience has made us better and more appreciative. And it's actually encouraged me. I think that experience along with the pandemic um i'm just kind of saying fuck it to everything and i'm gonna do the things that i want to do and i'm not gonna wait don't wait so like getting into this private practice i told myself when i turn 30 i'm gonna do it well what if i don't make it to 30 yeah so i'm doing the things that i want to do i'm doing them now james and i bought tickets to see unc and duke play there you go coach k's final yeah final coaching year i forgot about that why wait you know so I've kind of been saying yes to more things personally and professionally like you said interviewing um for this potential instructor uh, role I don't want to wait yeah because anything could happen COVID has showed us that this experience with my dad has kind of showed us that um your, show- whole, your whole career has shown you that I yeah. feel like right yeah. mm-hmm. I mean you've you work in the world of death I mean you see it all the time and ter- terminal illness yeah. You know, what that can do to individuals and yeah. lifelong illnesses. Yeah. So, so with not waiting, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Ah, uh, that's the thing I'm still working on. <laughs> 
my guilty pleasure is watching everything 90 Day Fiance related. All of the spinoffs before the 90 Days, The Other Way, The Tell Alls, the <laughs> <laughs> Darcy and Stacy, The Family Chantel. <laughs> this is so funny. I don't watch any of that stuff, but I love hearing other people talk about it's it. It's so good. Um, I have actually had to set some boundaries with myself in order to in, engage and remain kind of at, at baseline and make sure that I am looking out for me. I love murder podcasts. I love murder documentaries. I love listening to scary stuff and watching scary stuff. I also really like to read um, about mental health. Mm-hmm. I also have a ton of mental health podcasts that I listen to, um, like Light Up the Couch, Talking to Change. And I've realized that when I put those things and incorporate them in my downtime, it's really not so much downtime. Nope. Because you're um, still thinking. Because I'm still thinking. So even though I love the scary stuff and the true crime and getting in the mind of a serial killer, I, I've come to realize that it actually stresses me out more. Um, and so I'll listen to that kind of stuff in the morning if I'm driving to work. Get you real ready for the yeah, day. Get me real ready for the day. Nice and jazzed. Um, I listen to it in the morning and in the evenings that's when I watch the trash TV because that does not trust me out yeah. <laughs> or it does just in a different way. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. It's again, it's less than it, you're not responsible right. for any of that. Right. right. People ask all the time, like what shows do you watch when you, how do you do this work? How do you disengage? Right. And I'm like, I watch Bob's burgers. Yeah. And a bunch of cartoons. Yeah. Cause I don't have to give a shit about the cartoons. Exactly. Yeah. So that's been really helpful. Um, to kind of restructure when I'm listening to certain things because I do realize that it's triggering in a sense. It makes me anxious and when my body feels anxious, like the body keeps the score, right? So I don't go to such a great place. Um, I've got my own therapist. I remember texting you, who should I go see? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I got some names. I'll send them to you. I got my own therapist and I probably should have gotten connected with one um, prior to when I did, but that's been really helpful. I am going for long walks on the American Tobacco Trail. I have been saying yes to hanging out with friends more. I actually had one friend, shout out to Rachel, um, like a month ago, she was having a a bonfire at her house. And I said, well, James and I can't be there until after seven o'clock because that's when he gets off of work. She said, okay. 7.30 rolls around. She texted me. She said, This is just a gentle reminder and a gentle nudge that if you have gotten anxious and decided to huddle up on the couch with a bunch of blankets and put on a TV show, that I really want you to come tonight and I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Hmm. And I was on the couch. (laughs) Like I'm literally doing that. Under a blanket with my dog, watching a TV show, asking James, do we really think we should go to this thing? Um, So I've been saying yes to to hanging out with folks in a safe COVID appropriate way. Um, but that's one thing that I'm really awful at, which is bailing. I get really anxious. I get really in my own head. And I feel like I have all these other things going on. And so I end up being a really bad friend. So that's something that I'm trying to work on. I don't know if that's really self-care, but I'm I trying to... I think that's so big and important to say. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm a bad friend a lot of the times because I get anxious and don't show up places. And people, I think think that I've got better stuff to do but the reality of it is is like I'm sitting on the couch racking my brain like oh god how am I gonna explain to this person like what excuse can I come up with um but there was a get together two weeks ago that I was supposed to go to and I did end up having too much anxiety and I did not go and I texted my friend Anna and I said I love you so much I literally took a shower did my hair did my makeup I am frozen with social anxiety and I can't make it but I don't want you to think that I don't want to be there. And she texts me back and she's like, that's okay. Let's hang out one-on-one later this week. There you go. So See, there's ways around that. Trying to say yes um, to the things that I know that are going to make me happy, even if they make me anxious. <laughs> well, that's what I think that therapy is helpful for, right? Yeah. Is this, I think so many people listening can probably relate to not only being a caregiver, maybe for a parent at this young age, but also the idea of social anxiety and yeah. how that impacts your friendships when we, what do we preach in therapy, right? That we need connection. What did your dad need to feel better? Connection, mm-hmm. friends, support, you need to ask for help. And so it sounds like you're trying to take that advice yeah. to heart and be like, okay, I actually need to to kind of listen to myself when I tell people to do this stuff because mm-hmm. it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And then always cuddling with my cats. That's another. Yes, the sweet babies. <laughs> Y'all, Megan's got some, we'll link her social media if you do want to follow her. She's got some real cute animals I that do. do some fun stuff. <laughs> um, you said it when you said, I'm saying yes to things mm-hmm. and I'm not waiting. But I'd be curious if 
you have other words you'd share about something that you live your life by? The thing that I tell people across all time and space and settings is like, as long as you're doing the best you can with what you've got, you're in a pretty good place. Um, And the other thing that I would say is letting people know appropriately when you need help and what things are coming up for you because I have found myself trying to hide things from my boss or my friends. I don't want people to think that my life is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't want people to be like, oh my God, that girl's life is fucked up. (laughs) But the reality of it is, and part of this podcast too, is that you realize that everybody is going through something. Um, And most people are more understanding than you realize. So if there are people that you trust to show up for you in the ways that you hope they can, to let them know, you know, when you are having a bad time and and the things that you need and whether that's space or someone to come over and just watch TV with you or to just sit and listen or to go to the park and do a lap, um, to just not, not wait. Yeah. To not wait. And I love that you said that the people that you trust, right? Because we have to learn how to advocate for ourselves to get what we want, to get our needs met. And if we don't ask for it, then like you're saying earlier, sometimes that anger and resentment and frustration can come up because we're not getting our needs met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like, well, (laughs) I said this about 2021. I'm really excited for 2022. (laughs) There's a lot of really cool things happening for the people around me and for myself. So I'm really optimistic and hopeful for the future. And I'm also really proud of myself at the end of the year, looking back at all the things that I've done, all the the new endeavors that I am kind of taking on. And I'm just, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I love that. Well, Megan, thank you for coming all this way and coming to see me. You know, we don't get to see each other very often either. I think the pandemic has really thrown a wrench in that and then you moved and everything else. So it's really good to hang out with you and see you and have you share this part of your story because I've watched it from afar and I've, Mm -hmm. you know, been there for you through some of the career changes and that sort of thing. But, you know, I really felt like it was valuable that you came on as a young adult to be like, yeah, I've had to take care of a parent. And I don't think we talk about that enough and what that can do to a relationship and Mm -hmm. how straining that is on you and your other relationships in your life. So I really thank you for doing that. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And the saga is not over yet, right? He's only 60. So (laughs) it continues, right? I may be back in 10 years. Yes. Yes. With hopefully, like you said, stronger boundaries and a better habit of asking for help from other people. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for letting people have a place to share their stories and a space for other people to listen. Cause I really think that that's super important and allows us to not feel as alone. And like, we're not the only people going through some of these crazy times. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. That's our goal here. One person, right? That's yeah. all that matters. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks. Thank you for listening to I've been better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and follow us on social media at I've been better dot pod.